Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. We will be in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. We normally get through an entire chapter, but uh, it's not possible today. So uh, this chapter is a focal point in the church for marriage at the end, and so I'm not going to make all everybody mad today. We'll wait and uh, do that next week or the next, sometime else. Um, the first part's bad enough, so uh, if we can get through that and we're all still friends, I think we're in good shape. Uh, so Ephesians so far, the first three chapters, it was uh, in a recap, Paul is telling us what it is to be a Christian, what it is, what Christ is. He came, he died for our sins, we have to accept him into our heart, and, and then we're sealed. He talks about that in chapter 2, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, he tells us the rough version of what the Holy Spirit is in our life, that he, he leads us, he guides us, he, uh, he does a work inside of us where we are all from the world, and then we become something new in Christ, and it's not of us. And who we used to be then in chapters 3 and 4 is laid out. And last week I kind of hurt everybody's feelings, I think. He did, really, in chapter 4, telling us where we came from. And uh, it's not nice to look in the rearview mirror, not something we want to do very often, but I think it's appropriate to look in the rearview mirror at times and see, am I moving? And, uh, you know, that's the thing in life. You'll never get where you're going uh, as a person. You always think, I want to be a better version of who I am. And then you find Christ and you realize, I've been trying this on my own through whatever we try, spiritualism, Eastern mysticism, uh, Buddhism, whatever your trail is, it doesn't work. And then you find Jesus and you realize with Jesus, it's not about what I do to make me a better version of me. It's what he is going to do inside of me and it's going to change me. And, uh, and then we learn to surrender that process of surrendering to the Lord. And that's a lifelong thing that we go through. Well, then we come to 5, chapter 5, and he says, look, um, there's a way that you should live. It, there's a way that things should look if you're a Christian. And there's a reason for it. Um, and, and so he's going to get into that today. So uh, without further ado, verse 1, he says, therefore, so that's on the tail end of chapter 4. He says, therefore, because he says, and we'll recapping real, real quick. Verse uh, 28 of chapter 4, quit stealing. Verse 29, no more corrupt words out of your mouth. Uh, verse uh, 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, all put away, and all malice, by the way. And verse 32, be kind to one another. So if, you, if it's a negatives don't really, aren't your thing, then positive. Just be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God forgave you. So after all that, he says, verse 1, therefore. So do all, these are the characteristics, in other words, that may not have always been you. Therefore, be imitators of God. What do we, we're all imitators, okay? The world teaches us certain things from the time that we're little. Thankfully, I didn't grow up in the 70s. I know some of y'all did. They're coming back. Bell bottoms, have y'all seen them? You know, 
nobody taught anybody, you know, of, them, of their own accord to wear a kite on the bottom of their pants. That didn't happen by accident. Um, what happened is this little thing called peer pressure. Y'all were in high school. I know, I know what happened because it happened for me too. It's just that, you know, we just change through the years, our pants. So so we have too much fabric at the bottom, and they're so tight, you know, a straw would fit in the top of them. Well, well then we we fast forward, and by the time you get to the 90s, well, it looks like a sailboat. You're just huge baggy pants. And so at that point, you know, started mattering if you had boxers on and what they looked like because everybody's going to see them. Your pants were falling off, you know. Everybody walked like a duck, you know, those years. And uh, But again, nobody with a brain would have wore that stuff, right? You did it because of peer pressure. You were taught by society. You looked around and went, oh, that's so cool. Man, I want to be like him or her. So you buy the same looking apparel and so on it goes. Now we've got these skinny jeans. So you've got these fat middle-aged guys trying to stuff themselves into these skinny jeans I'm just here to tell you, it looks horrific, okay? If you have a donut going on up top, don't put skinny jeans on. It doesn't help you. But that's just free advice. I'm just giving this as free advice this morning, okay? Uh, nobody, nobody saw that, though, and thought, man, I just look awesome. I look awesome in this, you know? No, somebody else told you they looked awesome, and you started believing it, and before long you went and bought the same thing. And uh, so he says, be imitators of God. Well, we're imitators of the world. We look around us and go, well, that's cool. I'm going to try that, you know. Um, and then there are the rebels. I've always been kind of the rebel. You know, it's like, what is everybody doing? I'll do the opposite. Why? Because I imitate rebels. That's, I just, I'm always been more of that kind of a person. Um, but we all imitate. And he says, look, as Christians... This morning in chapter 5, this is what I want you to get through your heads. Quit imitating the world. Quit looking like the world in your habits and characteristics. But imitate God. So study God. Quit studying the guys and the gals that live around us to figure out who you want to be like. And start studying God. Why do we read our Bibles as Christians? To learn who is God. Some people don't like who God is, so then they just pick and choose, and they say, oh, I'm just going to read the Gospels, and I'm going to find out who Jesus is from the Gospels. That was the way God gave himself to us for three years. Study the rest of your Bible. We need to know what Revelation says. We need to know what the Old Testament says. Why? Because the characteristic of God is laid out in this Bible. And we see that God does get angry, but he doesn't sin. We get angry in sin. We see that that vengeance. He says, oh no, in fact, I'm so good at it. You're not supposed to take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Like, I thought he wasn't vengeful. Actually, he is, but it's all done without sin. He's angry without sin. Jealousy, oh, that's not a good thing, right? No, it says in the Old Testament, God is a jealous God. He's jealous for you. Jealousy in the right way and, and directed in the right place, good thing. I'm jealous about my wife. That's good, right? Um, she is about me. Those are good. Those are, it's good in the right place, bad in the wrong place. We're human and we mess up all of these characteristics of God. But learn to study God. Really look at who is God. 
and I want to imitate him. And I want to be angry, but I want to be angry in the right direction at the right things. I want to make a stand, but I want to make the right stand. And I want to fight the right fight, right? Paul said, fight the good fight. He didn't say don't fight. Fight the good fight. It's good to know who you're fighting. Who's the real enemy? You know? And uh, that's characteristics of God. Just a small demonstration. You'll spend the, your lifetime learning who is God. And so he says, be an imitator of him as dear children. So not as a brat, but as, uh, as dear children. Uh, imitators, that's the Greek, it means a mimicker. And, uh, you know, a lot of Christians, they try to imitate God as brats. They, they come at it and they say, they turn their nose up. And they say, well, I'm better than everybody else because I, I joined the club. And all you do is you turn off everybody else around you from then following God. And so what he says is, do it as dear children. Dear means as loved one children's. So loved one children's. The idea is these are the kids that you would actually like. Have you ever gone out to eat at a restaurant and you see the little kids you don't like? So not like those, but like little kids that you do like when you run into them. So he says, now the rest of this uh, scripture this morning is going to be about how we do that um, very pointedly. So again, if it upsets you, I'm sorry. But um, these are some of the chapters, chapter 5, chapter 6 uh, of Ephesians that I read when I was 17, uh, coming into 18. And I read them and I read them and I read them. And I realized that I wasn't really there. <laughs> But they did something to me. And it's these two chapters for those years of my life. It, it, it They started Im- impacting me to the point that when Beth and I uh, got together, my wife, and we, uh, we sat down. I didn't know, because I'm 17, 18. That's stupid, right? I mean, you don't know anything at those years. Um, you, I didn't know much, but I knew that this, there was something to it. And it wasn't in my heart yet, but it was in my head. But I wanted it to be in my heart. And I said, I'm going to live by this. And when it says, uh, we won't get there this morning, the end of this chapter talks about marriage. I didn't understand it because I'd never been married before. Um, But I said, I'm going to try my best to live by this. And so it was head knowledge for, I'm going to say, the first seven or eight years of our marriage. And then it started becoming a heart thing. And, you know, the last, I don't know, 12, 13 years, it's been, it's been, you know, constantly getting better and better and better. Because what this says is now me. And I am trying my best to live according and imitate what the Lord has laid out. I'm not perfect. But I do feel like the last decade and a half or so, I'm at least aimed the right way. And, you know, being aimed the right way in life is most of the battle. It's actually most of your battles, okay? So, uh, walk in love. It's easier to love than it is to hate. And uh, I think the world last year, 2020, and this year, to walk in love, they don't know how. When you look at, when you look at what's happening in our country with the racism issues and stuff, What's wrong? Well, what's wrong is if somebody feels somebody hates them, 
they respond with another act of violence. And somebody has got to put down the gun. Somebody's got to put down the sword. And, you know, if you walk in love, that means that walking, oh, that's, I've said this a lot of times, that's going from point A to point B. It's a journey. So you journey through, through life and you do it in love. So everything that you come up against, you just go, okay, I can either attack here or I can just love and I can forgive. It's pretty simple. Hard though. Simple concept, hard to do. But walk in love. Uh, and then if you don't understand, you're going, I don't understand what that means. Then he, he says, well, it's as Christ loved us. So it means that you sacrifice maybe some of your own comfort for somebody else. It's really quite simple. It's not weird. Um, as Christ loved us and given himself for us. So he actually sacrificed a little in order to help. And you know, I've, I've done this in life and I still, I'll be honest, I still don't know exactly what the end result's going to be. But I have had it come upon me, whether it be just me being a softy or the Holy Spirit, I don't know. But when somebody comes and they're in great need and you have the, the, the means by which to help them, I have reached out and helped. Now, don't all y'all come up after church, but um, I, I have, and I guess in retrospect looking at it, I would rather help and not know if it was really needful or the Lord or whatever. I would rather do that than not help and wonder if it was the Holy Spirit trying to use me. And I don't know. I can't really say that I'm at the end of that story yet to know if some of the times I've helped certain folks, if it has been the Lord or if it was just me. But I know when I get to heaven, if, if God says, well, you helped this person and that person, and that really wasn't me, I'm going to say, well, my bad. You know, I, I would rather be guilty of helping too much. Um, so just, we'll just walk in love. That's a lot different than how I was in my 20s. I'll just say that. Uh, it, the Spirit does a work in your heart. He gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-selling aroma. So really, when you're walking in love, you're, you're communing with the Lord. So when, when a said person comes into your life and they need love because they're a prickly pear, you know, and you're trying to deal with that person, then you just respond in love, and then you remember Christ and you remember that you're really not doing it to help them, but this is a offering and a sacrifice, a sweet selling, a smelling aroma to the Lord. So he's in heaven going, ah, my dear one down there, they're helping. They're walking in love. And they're, they're, my spirit is in that person. And you're spreading Christ. That's what we do. And it's, pretty, it's actually pretty cool when you think about it. But you can't do that if you're still in the world. So he says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetous, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So he says, Look, if you belong to the Lord, the way that you lived in the past, it shouldn't still be part of you because you can't walk in love if you're still living that way. Um, 
Amy Carmichael had a great quote. She said, you can, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And I guess my challenge in these verses to you guys would be, if you're walking in love, don't, don't confuse the giving with, the, with loving. But if you love, it just, the, the way that your life should unfold to those around you, it'll be very natural to just want to turn into a giver and a helper and to just love on folks. It's so much easier than hating. It truly is. Um, I don't know what to tell you about, you know, the fornication and all of that. You know, I know I know some of y'all might think I'm confused. They literally just said walk in love and then no fornication. But um, this isn't the 60s. So um, there's a difference. And, and I hate that in our culture, these things have been, uh, you know, somewhat marred. Love, when, you, when, when a guy comes up to you and says, I love you, babe, it's, there's a difference between love and lust. And there is a difference between this self-sacrificing love, verse 2 says, as Christ loved us, than fornicating love, okay, lustful love. And if you're into that, then I can already tell you how you feel. Um, if you are getting around and having sex with many different individuals, you feel empty inside. You're looking for something and you can't find it. And you never will find it if that is your lifestyle. You will always wake up on Monday and you'll be empty again. If you're in a relationship just for the sex, then I hope you enjoy it because that's all you're going to get out of it. There's nothing lasting that comes out of that. God knows that and he's actually wanting to protect you from it. But the other thing is, is as Christians, why would we want to why would we want to demonstrate that for those around us that Christians do that and that it's a good thing? You're literally selling a lie to those around you. And you're selling that as a lie to your kids. You're selling it as, as a lie to young ones that are watching your lives. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a dirty, rotten lie, and it leads nowhere. So it says, fornication shouldn't be named among you. Uncleanness and covetousness. Uh, then verse 4, he goes on, if that doesn't get you. You might be thinking, I'm good today, so this is the subject. No, no, he covers a lot. Uh, neither filthiness. And I, that's not, um, it's funny because in some of the uh, newer translations, I won't list names here, they say filthiness, uh, the idea in the titles is you need to be clean. This is not a manual on self-cleaning, okay? It's not... Uh, it's it's filthiness of the mind. This is mental filthiness. And um, I know all of you work in the world, I would suppose, uh, right? I mean, that's kind of, we all live here, so I suppose you work here. Um, and there are people that are just foul, right? I mean, they're just foul out there. And that's okay. If they, you, know, you don't know the Lord and that's what you want to do, that's, that is your uh, MO, then, you know, good deal. But as a Christian, we're not supposed to be doing that anymore. Why? Well, because you're not, as an ambassador for Christ, you're not really representing Christ well. And the thing is, is, is you know, if, I don't know if you've ever, like, washed dishes, you know. Um, I hope you have. I, if you haven't, I don't want to visit your house. 
But when you wash dishes um, and you get dirty dish water, you know, there's no way and there's no substance made that you can put into the dirty dish water that will clean the dishwater, right? Um, you put the dirty dishes in there and then they come out and then you have to even rinse them off after coming out of the dirty dishwater. And if you never change that dishwater, you just keep trying to use it to clean dishes. You all know at some point it's just not going to work any longer. The dishwater can't be cleaned. It has to be changed. Um, and the thing is, imagine you as a sink of water, clean and pure. And every time that you are filthy and you put another filthy dish in there, you get your water just a little dirtier and a little dirtier. It's pretty much how your minds end up being. And you end up being tolerant of so much around you. And I know I've, I've worked, you know, around ranch people, cowboy type uh, people. And you've, you know, you've heard the terminology cuss like a sailor. Um, they're, they're among the worst of the worst and it's easy to join in. It is easy to be part of it. And, you know, as you all know, if you work around those kind of people, eventually the language as it, as it hits you and the jokes and all that, somebody says, man, I, I felt like he's, he's pretty foul. And you're like, oh, I didn't notice. And it, it's so bad. You just, it's in one ear and out the other. Your filter is breaking. It doesn't hit you anymore. It's kind of like murder in movies. I mean, do y'all remember? Well, some of you don't. You're too young. But some of y'all remember back John Wayne movies, okay? Okay, somebody, I love John Wayne. Um, he's just my kind of guy. Anyway, um, so in John Wayne movies, when somebody got shot back in the day, you know, they would clutch their chest. They would, oh, he got me. And they'd fall over and they would kick out and die, right? That's the classic cowboy uh, death scene. And uh, well, then you fast forward a few years and you see somebody get shot in the movies and they have a, a five gallons of blood that comes out of their chest from a BB. You know, I mean, you're just like, what in the world? And there's blood flying everywhere. That, that one uh, fella, Quentin, uh, Quentin Taran, Tarantino, whatever his name is, that guy, I think he has people on the side of his movies with buckets of blood that just start throwing them across everybody. And what, what am I bringing all this out? Like, this is church, I know. Here's the point, okay? You fast forward, and then we're, we're you know, good for movies that are um, saving Private Ryan, okay? Good movie, great movie, very realistic. Vets that saw it, they said they couldn't hardly watch it. It was so realistic. But what, again, why are you going through all these movies? Well, here's the thing. Our culture was John Wayne movie, got shot, no blood, clutched the chest, fall over dead. We got the point. Then 10 years later, well, we have to have a little more blood. Let's go. We got to up this a little bit. Before long, you've got directors literally splashing blood all over people as they're, you know, get a small knife cut. Why? It's to sensationalize it. It's because we're growing tolerant. You got to do more and more. The action movies, they've gotten so full of action now that the drama had to, you know, like, we got to cut something out. We got too many, it's like the Terminator movies and the, the not Terminator, there's another one. The trash cans that are fighting each other. Uh, Transformers, yeah, there are all these tin cans that are fighting each other. And, uh, sorry, but I mean, the last one, I fell asleep during it, you know, because 
all you're watching are these tin cans going at it. And you're like, how much robot tin cans can I take? Uh, you know, and but the look, the director's looking at it, going, "We got to cut something. We got action and blood and violence and all this. So what do they cut? The acting, anyway. Uh, so they get rid of acting and drama. It's just it's just action and blood because we're tolerant. So what's happening? And he says, uh, "Well, here's the thing. If as a Christian you've got this filthiness." You got foolish talking, coarse jesting. That that's means sexual innuendos in the Greek, which are not fitting. He's just telling you it's that's not fitting for us. Then that's what happens as we become a tolerant society. And as a church, you're tolerant. When you start letting a little bit in, then more and more and more. And I mean, I gave you all some very vanilla examples. There's a there's a lot out there in the world that everybody's getting very uh, callous to. We're getting tolerant to. And so Christians don't look any different than everybody else. We should be watching what we watch. We should be watching what we listen to. We need to be watching these things. Because the world is starting to now put things in front of us that are absolutely morbidly sick. And they're going to continue. It's getting worse. We saw a deal on Instagram yesterday at the house and Nike has gone in with some rapper. Uh, I don't do rapping. I just, anyway, some rapper. The uh, rapper came out with a new song, and it's about having sex with Satan. And then he goes in with Nike to make some shoes to go along with the the song and all. He's going to make 666 pairs of these shoes. And in the sole of the shoes they have put human blood. And this is supposed to be a thing. Trust me, you'll see more and more and more of this. They'll, they're, the pairs are for a thousand and something dollars. Um, why do you want them? I don't know. How did we get here, you ask? Tolerance. Ten years ago, that would not have flown. Um, today, they're free with this stuff. And uh, so he says, you better start looking separate. You better, we better start separating ourselves from the madness that's out there in the world and give folks that come and see us some hope as they see Christ in our homes and in us and we're walking in love. You don't have to do much in this world. Think of it this way. In this room, it's pretty lit in here. Uh, if I lit a candle, it wouldn't shine very brightly. And that was the world 50 years ago. You were just another light in a pretty... Uh, lit nation. You know, we were a Christian nation. Today, the lights are off. Now it's like we're living in, in a cavern. And a lighter, you know, will light the entire thing, a small light. You're now that small light in a dark world. Case uh, and he's going through First John the last few weeks, and that there was, a, if you notice that parallel, the light and the dark, the light and the dark. Well, when the dark gets darker, the light shines brighter. So let your light shine among men, Jesus said. Because the world, he says in Matthew 24 and in Mark 8, it's getting darker. So everything I'm telling you, this, this, this isn't news. Um, it's the world that we live in. It's the truth. So for this you know, verse 5. So this is, this is something you should just have knowledge of. And this is not saying that if you 
do this sin, you're not getting into heaven. It's saying those that are in the world that are just living this way, you know they're not headed to heaven, so why do you want to do the same thing? No fornicator, in other words, habitual, you're just living in the world without Jesus, unclean person or a covetous man who is an idolater. So he clarifies there. Doing all that, who is an idolater? In other words, somebody that's worshiping the world, an idol, something else in the world, not the Lord, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So he says, don't look like those. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So what's he saying? Uh, The way I look at that is in Revelation, the end is coming. And Jesus is coming, and he's going to judge. And he's judging all of those that live in the world, and they want their satisfaction today. They want uh, what they want now, and they're going to do what's right in their own eyes today. He's coming back to judge them. I don't want any part of that, and I want to follow the Lord. And so he says, don't be deceived with somebody's empty words. What is that? Well, in churches today, in many ministries, they will tell you, oh, Don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't uh, live together. Don't let anybody tell you uh, that that you've got to do this walking in love stuff, that you just can't be you and you just be the best version of you. You can be there. Uh, Don't let people tell you that you can't be happy. That's a big one today in our country. I'm just, I'm happy. Well, I'm sure you are. I'd be happy if I robbed a bank and, you know, hauled a million bucks out of there momentarily until I thought, what did I do? Uh, until the consequences come, you know. But yeah, sin for a moment is it's it's fun, right? Uh, I don't I don't negate that. I just argue with you about where does it land us, okay? And uh, so don't be deceived with empty words. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So he's saying, as Christians, we need to shape up. Right now, I see this as a huge. Uh, passage for our world. Because in our country right now, we are having issues, I would say. And we need the Christian community, all of us that are Christians. We need to shine a little brighter. There's way too many churches that are rolling over. We have churches right here in town that I am absolutely horrified at some of the uh, things that I'm hearing coming down the pike. Um, it's it's gays and lesbians openly su- serving in many of our churches. And I am I am a hundred percent against that. I'm a hundred percent against anyone serving in a church if you are currently living in a habitual known sin. You need to clean your life up first. Look at it this way. You've flown on a plane. What do they tell you to do? The stewardess, they used to. It's been about twenty years. I haven't been on a plane since nine eleven. So last time, you know, I carried a pocket knife on a plane. I I hear you don't do that these days. Um, But, uh, you know, back in those days anyway, the stewardess would uh, be at the front and they'd go through their little safety deal with you before you took off. And and, uh, they would have the mask there, the oxygen, and they would show you how to put it on. I don't know if they still do that or not. But um, there, it was interesting because their rule was always, and help the child or somebody that's disabled or somebody next to you Help them first. Uh, no, right? Because that's what we want to do. Say, so put it on yourself first, then you help them. 
And I thought, well, that's actually pretty smart because the in the concept was if you are knocked out for lack of oxygen in a you know in a uh, wreck, uh, well then how are, how are you going to help somebody else? Well, God's saying the same thing to us here. Um, you might want to get your life kind of put together before you start helping somebody else. It's really hard to serve in the ministry when you're dealing with all of the uh, low-level sins that you should have dealt with a long time ago. So he's saying before you start, you know, Jesus said the same thing essentially, don't be a hypocrite. Uh, remember in the Gospels he said first pull the, uh, uh, um, or before you pull the, the sticker out of somebody else's eye, pull the beam that's out of your own first. And I know let's deal with your problems first, then go deal with somebody else's. It says in verse 8, you were once, for you were once darkness. It's interesting, he doesn't just say you were in darkness. He says you were darkness. Uh, yeah, that kind of hurts, but yeah, it, that's true. <laughs> we were, we just, we were dark. You, do you remember being that person? You walked into the room and everybody went, oh, they're here. You know, you were just, you were, you were dark. And then something happened. Now you are light in the Lord <laughs> because he's in your life. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth in finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And so uh, what he's saying, uh, finding out, in the Greek that means proving out. So you're proving out what you're made of. Proving out who you are in the Lord. It's a word used by iron workers to describe the process of testing iron uh, to see if the iron was pure. So you're, you need to prove out uh, you know, your life, finding out what is acceptable. Um, he says then, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So I could sit here this morning and, and defend walking in darkness or seeing that God has done a work in my life, I can sit here and try to expose it for you. So that's what I try to do. I don't have a lot of friends because of that. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, but it doesn't deter me from speaking the truth, hopefully in love. I always try to do this in love here. And I'm, I'm talking to myself just as much as I am you guys. We all need to be watching what we do and uh, what we say, what our jokes are, and the coarse jesting and all of that stuff, and make sure that others see us uh, and they see Christ really in us, you know? And uh, so, so we're all in the same boat together there. Um, he says, verse 12, it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. And uh, again, I, a lot of people make more of that verse, I think, than they should, but I think what's done in secret, you know? Um, well, obviously a lot of sexual things that he was referring to earlier uh, are done in secret, but so are drugs and a lot of people's addictions and all that. A lot of people that you see that you think are fine, they have an addiction and it's hidden. A lot of people are in our culture, they're addicted to legal pharmaceutical drugs and they hide it. They hide it really well. And, um, so it, all that stuff is done in secret, you know, in our culture. So he's saying don't make coarse jokes and all that about those sort of things. It's a, we just should live differently. It's actually pretty serious, you know. I mean, we it's, it's funny to watch somebody that's drunk. Um, 
It is. I mean, it, I have to say, it's funny to see somebody that's drunk. But when you see the end result of a life long and a lifetime of uh, alcohol or drug abuse, there is nothing funny about it. It's just, it's sad to watch lives go down the tubes. And um, so, you know, again, walking in love, trying to help. Um, he says in verse 13, all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead. Christ will give you light. I, I think that's a relative verse to, to this morning. A lot of the Christian community is asleep at the wheel. And uh, I think what he's saying here is real simply, wake up. What you do matters. You're being watched. Not by me, but by those that are around you in your life. You're being watched. And they're, they're saying, well, what does mom and dad do? What's their decision? What's grandma and grandma? What's their decision? What's my spouse's decision? What's my friend's decision on all these different things in life? You're watching that. And if they're touted as being some amazing, awesome Christian, then if they do it, then you end up thinking, well, maybe it's okay. Maybe I saw it wrong. And so then your tolerance starts changing based on those around you. So that's why I feel like for me, though I like to have fun too, I look at a lot of things in the world and I say, is it momentarily fun or is it going to be damaging in the long term? And what's this going to lead others to do? And I want to make sure that I encourage others with my whole life. It's quite simple walking in love. So see that you walk circumspectly. In other words, kind of with your eyes open. Don't walk around uh, as a fool, but as wise. So in other words, don't put blinders on in this life and go, well, I'm going to do what I want to do and they can all get over it and live your life. That's honestly not the best. It's not godly. And God would say, you need to look around. You need to look at the little eyes that are looking at you. And, uh, and at me. He says, verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And it doesn't say there God redeems the time. Uh, some people would say that here. That's not what it's saying. It's you are redeeming the time because you were walking one way and now you're walking something else and you're hopefully redeeming the time because you wasted a lot of it when you were younger living the wrong way. And uh, so now you're, you can redeem it the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there, all these verses in various ways, he's telling us the same thing. There's a wisdom to setting a good example in front of others and walking in love. And there's a foolishness if you're very self-centered to uh, employ a lot of these sins into your life, uh, into your home. Uh, because you don't understand the consequences, where it's going to land you. He says, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, uh, but be filled with the Spirit. Dissipation is a word for excess. Uh, so uh, now I know a lot of y'all, as soon as you read this, you're like, phew, wine. I'm sure glad he didn't mention bourbon uh, or beer or something, you know. That would that'd be bad. Um, I, I think that would be a bad argument, honestly. I think uh, I think he's, uh, well, I mean, I actually had a guy ask me that, like, well, he didn't say, you know, bourbon, right? I mean, that, that's all right. 
Uh, well, you just do whatever you feel is best, you know. But no, really, um, what, what's he saying here? He he hates alcohol. Well, he in in his first miracle ever, Jesus turned uh, water into wine. I would have thought he would have just, you know, if he was truly anti-wine, he would have probably, that would have been a hoot too. You know, every time they went to drink, it's like, it's water, you know. But uh, that, I would have done that just to fun with them. But um, he didn't. Uh, he turned the water into wine. And then we even know from the feast there, it was the best wine. Uh, the Lord's Supper. We know for a fact that they did serve wine in their communion. Um, we know that Jesus said there that he would no longer partake of the vine, which means that he had drank it up to that point. And uh, until he drank it ag- again with us, uh, with us in his father's house, which would be the, the marriage supper of the lamb. So a lot of people say, oh, well, if Jesus isn't drinking from now till then, I'm not either. Well, you could say that, but he also died within hours from when he said that. So I think what he was saying is I'm not going to be drinking anymore until then because I'm, I'm at my end. Um, Jesus never sinned when he walked here. So you're saying, so what are you, what are you, where are you going with this? Well, he drank wine. We know. I doubt Jesus was ever drunk. Um, I know he drank because they even accused him of being a wine bibber, and you can't accuse a teetotaler of being a wine bibber. Okay, you got to drink some, or or just that wouldn't stick at all. But he did it without sinning. Now I will also add this: that their culture was very different than ours, um, and there are a lot of people. It seems these days, especially in America, that have. A, a drinking problem. It is not something that they enjoy at supper. It is a it is an addiction and it is a problem. So um, I think we all have to kind of look at our personal uh, home to determine what we need to do. If you are surrounded with someone who has a lot of problems with alcohol, man, it's best if you walk in love. And just say we're going to get that out of here because I don't want to stumble somebody. Uh, if you have kids, you know they're they're watching you, so you have to determine how do I want to portray that to them because you're teaching them with your actions. You're the best teacher that that they're going to have, and they're going to watch you. And uh, so I would be very very careful. I do know this that uh, the statistics show that alcoholics have parents that drink or did drink. So again, I'm not preaching at anybody. I'm just saying we all have decisions to make on those sort of things, but we are examples nonetheless. And that's the whole point of the passage. He's not saying don't drink, but we need to be very careful with it and getting drunk. It's just, it's not a, it's not a good idea. It's not a good thing. Um, now we focus on the first part of the verse. Don't be drunk. It's like, don't, don't do something. And it's a rule then, and so then we, we want to rebel against that rule. Well, he's really not even talking about that, but he's, what he's trying to get at is be filled with the Spirit, the last part of the verse. 
That's the part we should be focused on. And, uh, you know, to back up a little bit, in the uh, world of demonology, where they look at uh, demons coming into and inhabiting a person with, uh, uh, you know, a lot of Satanology and all that, they're really into a lot of that stuff. They, they employ varying methods to open up a portal into your mind, okay? And a lot of the people that deal with demons, they, they end up studying and learning how to set up portals. In that process, um, they employ a lot of hallucinogenic uh, drugs, uh, the Native Americans, they, they pioneered the whole process, actually. They're very good at it. And um, they, you, can, you can buy a book. Uh, it's a Dr. Walker. It's a, he, he studied this back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, thousands of cases. And um, with a lot of the demonology, uh, in, in Sukoth demonology and all of that. So if you, you don't want to study it much. But my point being, they've learned that when you set up these hallucinogenic drugs and hallucinogenic uh, drinks, you open portals and it opens you up to a spirit coming inside. And in with Satanology then, they mix chants with that, and there you go. Why am I saying this? Because half the stuff that Christians are dabbling with are the same hallucinogenics, drugs, and alcohol happens to actually be one. They actually used to call, you know, remember when we were kids, you'd say, does this source sell spirits? And that was bourbon and the, the hard liquor. You call it spirits. Um, why? Because it opens you up. You do things that are crazy <laughs> when you start drinking this stuff in excess. And uh, again, you know, there's a purpose for everything, but when you are using it in, in the wrong place at the wrong time, you're opening yourself up to do things uh, that's not you. But he says, don't do all that. But rather, the portal that you won't open is a portal into your heart for the Holy Spirit of God to come in. So instead of a portal for all of that garbage to come into your life, open up the portal to the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if you're, you know, have you ever seen a cup full of water? Can you pour anything else in there? No. Why am I not worried about a demon coming into my life? Because it's full. My cup runneth over, you know, with the Holy Spirit. So there's no room in there for demons and all the rest of that. And so I don't want to open portals to that mess up either. Um, and again, a huge study there. I won't go into all of it this morning, but be filled with the Spirit. We're Christians. We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to speak to one another a little bit differently, it looks like, too. You're not going to see me singing a, a hymn straight at you, you know. Uh, you ever seen somebody like that? Every time you say something, they can sing a song to you about it. But um, the idea is you speak to one another in the Psalms and the hymns. You know, one of the favorite things my wife and I do is if we're reading the Bible in a verse, well, I don't do it every day, but um, occasionally, uh, now that texting's a thing, you know, uh, has been, I guess, what, 10, 12 years now. It's been a while. But since texting came in, we'll get a, a verse if we read it and it just really hits us and I'll just send it to her. You know? And I realize y'all are thinking, you're so old-fashioned, you could just Instagram it. Um, and, whoops. I'm still on? Yeah. Cool. Mic, mic drop. 
but uh, no, the, uh, let's see, where was I? Yeah, Psalms. So we'll, we'll text those verses to one another and, and, you know, if it hits us and it's a blessing, a lot of, I know a lot of y'all do that, but you don't have to talk in the Psalms, but share those verses. When somebody's down, it, it's a good thing if it's flowing through you and it becomes kind of your talk. Um, when somebody's down, you, you know what to say. It's the best thing to say. Uh, so talk in the Psalms and the hymns and spiritual songs, singing, make melody in your heart to the Lord. Um, one of the best things in our home that I just love, of course, my wife and, and all of them, they like love singing and all, but when I'll be uh, back off in the back of the house or something and I'll hear, you know, Beth will be doing, I'm telling on her right now, but she'll be doing dishes or something and she'll be singing, you know, uh, one of the worship songs and just, just singing a song in the house. I just, I love to hear it, you know, in the house. And um, it's good to fill your home with good sounds, not rap music. Okay, just saying. Uh, so make melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what has happened to you in life, you can give thanks. And uh, you know, as all of you know, my health has not been the best over the last year. And uh, I will say, that, you know, when you go through pretty traumatic health events, it causes you to have moments of bitterness with the Lord, uh, bitterness at life, you know, but you just, you, you have some of that you kind of work through. And, but at the end of the day, when you really step back and look at your life, I would rather be me today and in this wheelchair, um, I would rather be unable to get around and do all the things in this world that I love to do as long as I can still count the blessings of a family that loves the Lord, family that's together. I have a wonderful wife. We're working on, it will be 21 years this year. Um, we've never been separated or anything. It's, it's, we've had a great marriage. Uh, not because I'm so wonderful, uh, it, uh, you know, but because we based our marriage off the next half of this chapter. And I look at the blessings of my parents, who my dad was a, a cowboy on a ranch, and uh, my mom going to college, you know, and, and in the world, and they, they gave their lives to the Lord. And I look at that, and I, I know the rest of my family, and it's not so great. It's, uh, it's not so good. There's a lot of damage, you know. I love the Lord. And what the Lord can do in a family that gives your life over to the Lord is absolutely amazing. And so I wouldn't trade all of the blessings in the world for what the Lord's done in my life. And I hope that you all get there one day too. I know many of you already are. Where you you just want the Lord above everything else. And I know for most of you this morning, this was an elementary lesson because you've got all this stuff down. And I pray for those of you who do not or you struggle with something as silly as drinking, uh, that you think about what you could do 
and how you could pay it forward in your life if you make a change. I did. I, I drank when I was in my 20s on and off. I was a closet drinker. Um, you know, so I, you, you just drink in the evenings, take the edge off. Because I was doctoring something inside that was broken, that wasn't working right. And I needed the Lord in a real way to be in my heart. And if you're doing that and you're, you're going out and you're acting out, <laughs> I challenge you today to toughen up. That's the easy way out. Be tougher. Give your life to the Lord and change the world around you. Amen? He says in ending today, submit to one another in the fear of God. That doesn't mean do what other people tell you to do, <laughs> but it does mean that you consider what's best for them and you do that. Jesus submitted to the Father to go to the cross because God so loved the world. And he saw the love that God had for the world and he says, not my will, but yours be done. And he went out of love. That's what the, that's what the, the first, second verse uh, today told us. So he says, for you and I to walk in love, look around and say, what do I need to do in my life to change, to help you to see Jesus a little better? Amen. Next week, we'll start in verse 22, and do, do come back. I mean, I, I know. Uh, I know, but it, it is good, if, and, and I won't beat. There's, there's men and women in there, so we'll beat everybody up good, and uh, uh, yeah, we're doing it upright. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you. Lord, we love you. And uh, Lord, reading through this, seeing, Lord, some of the things where we have come through, where we've come from, what you've brought us through, Lord. Lord, none of that compares to the things that the world has put in front of us. And Lord, may our lives all begin to reflect you truly. This is a, just a wonderful group, Lord, that you've brought together in this church May we all continue to grow together, to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, today, if there is anyone here struggling with these particular things, they, they want away from it. They want to leave it, Lord, but they just have not found the strength yet to do it on their own. Then, Lord, I pray for them specifically today and our whole church together, Lord. We lift those up, Lord, that are struggling with addictions and with things in their life that, that they want gone. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them the Holy Spirit in a strong and a particular way, Lord, to clean the dirty dishwater, Lord, to get all of that gone, to do what we can't do on our own. Because, Lord, we can't clean our lives up. Only you can. And so, Lord, with your help, we ask, Lord, that that would be done, that that would be a work you would begin to do in the lives that are here today. For the rest of us, Lord, that are walking with you, Lord, I pray that you would keep us and that you would make us to be even better examples as we look at these things and we aim, Lord, to be a wonderful example with God in our, in our lives and in our hearts, Lord, to the world around us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.